Welcome to this podcast of the Los Angeles Review of Books. Today we're hosting French philosopher Catherine Malabou, who is currently Professor of Philosophy at the Center for Research in Modern European Philosophy at Kingston University, London. She has written many books, and many of her works have now been translated into English. They include The Future of Hegel, The Heidegger Change, her book Counterpath, which she did with Jacques Derrida, her book on Freud, The New Wounded, which is forthcoming with Fordham University Press, her book of feminist thought, Changing Difference, we actually have a review forthcoming on that in the LA Review of Books, and many listeners will probably also know her short little book on the brain titled What Should We Do With Our Brain? Welcome. Okay, Catherine, before we get started, um, I was wondering if you could perhaps, for our American listeners who might not be familiar with your work, uh, summarize very briefly, very quickly, um, what your work uh, has been about so far, what you consider its main uh, concerns to be, perhaps what its most important uh, uh, influences have been along the way. Yes, so as you uh, reminded, I'm a French philosopher and uh, I wrote my PhD under the supervision of Jacques Derrida. So I started in deconstruction, and my PhD was about Hegel. And it was turned, well, it appeared as a book, The Future of Hegel. And this book was about the notion of plasticity, which I discovered in Hegel. And uh, I was trying to elaborate this notion and transform it, to transform it into a concept. And then I discovered that this concept, plasticity, we'll talk about it in, in a moment, had also a central meaning in neurobiology. So gradually, um, I didn't leave the philosophical realm, but I moved away a little bit from it. And I got involved into neurobiology and started to uh, study neural plasticity. So my work is in the, well, situates itself in between philosophy and neurobiology. Perhaps we could start there at that crossroads of continental philosophy and neuroscience and with the book that plays out uh, this connection most explicitly, your book on the brain titled What Should We Do With Our Brain? A minor text, perhaps, but uh, one I find myself returning to again and again as a kind of manifesto for our time. We've done plenty of reporting in the LA Review about the Occupy movement, and there's something you write in the conclusion to your book on the brain that resonates for me with some of the recent political developments we've witnessed both in the Arab world and here in the US. Let me read uh, just a little bit from the conclusion of the book to uh, give you and the readers a sense of what I'm talking about. You write there in the conclusion that it is time to remember that some explosions are not in fact terrorist. Explosions of rage, for example. Perhaps we ought to relearn how to enrage ourselves. Explode against a certain culture of docility, of amenity, of the effacement of all conflict, even as we live in a state of permanent war. And then a little further. To ask, what should we do with our brain, is above all to visualize the possibility of saying no to an afflicting economic, political, and mediatic culture that celebrates only the triumph of flexibility, blessing obedient individuals who have no greater merit than that of knowing how to bow their heads with a smile. You wrote this in 2005. How do you look back on this passage now in light of current events, in light, for example, of the rise of the 99% against the 1%? Thank you for your question. So um, the first thing I would like to say is that uh, for me, 
um, what I try to do in that book is to show that a part of us, which usually is not considered a political one, uh, which usually usually is not considered as um, well invested with the political or philosophical dimension, which is the biological uh, being, our, our biological being, and particularly the brain. That's something which is ordinarily, ordinarily uh, considered passive and without any, hmm, without any power uh, outside the biological regulation. I wanted to show that this part of ourselves is in fact, um, could be, has to be constituted into a new source of resistance. So how is it possible to resist uh, from a point of view which usually is not considered as a site of resistance? How is it possible to transform the biological passivity into what I call plasticity? That is, uh, again, a power of both resisting and exploding. So in order to do that, I had to, to show how it was possible to constitute the brain as the very locus of our subjectivity, something which is not cut off from our intellectual uh, capacities, from spirit, but um, as the very core of our intellectual power. For that, I used the the recent neurology books. Uh, I based my study on neurobiological, well, current neurobiological research. And if you read these books, you see that, in fact, the brain is a system which is sculpting itself, which is forming itself under the influence of education, experience, and, well, environment, so that, in a sense, it is the very reflection of who we are. And in that sense, I think we have to become aware of that and transform this organ this self-sculpted organ into a power. So the problem uh, which is addressed in this book is how can we create this consciousness of the brain, what I call the consciousness of the brain. Mm-hmm. Why can that be a political question to, to answer to your, to what you asked me? Uh, I think that uh, if we look at the brain and the way it is sculpted, if we, if we look at the well, brain neural plasticity, then we can perhaps rethink about our limits. What are we able to bear, to tolerate? And why can't we precisely accept or um, bear? What are the limits of the acceptable? And um, it is, in fact, very simple when you look at the brain to answer these questions. Every time, every time, pressure, political pressure, or political power, or, uh, well, let's say all kinds of pressure, every time they are too strong, every time they push too hard on certain limits, which are the neural tolerability, uh, every time this is touched, it's crea- it creates an alienation, something like, a dis- well, both physical and psych- psychical Um, discomfort and that might be a new basis to think about resisting Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's a very important point that you just made, which is also, of course, as you pointed out in your answer too, uh, listeners may have noticed this, is related to your central or central concept in your in your work, which is the notion of uh, plasticity. Uh, just to make it clear for readers who may perhaps not be familiar uh, uh, with your work uh, uh, yet, uh, we tend to think uh, uh, of plasticity when we first heard the word as something that would be infinitely uh, stretchable. Uh, it's quite clear from your answer that that's not uh, what you have in mind when you say plasticity. In mm-hmm. fact, you contrast plasticity on that count to uh, another term that circulates in the brain book, uh, flexibility, which you can which you, uh, you you connect, in fact, to the the contemporary state of the the economy, neoliberalism, yes, yes. for example. Could you talk a little bit more? Yes, about absolutely, that? because um, this is also this was also the starting point of this book on the brain. I precisely wanted to elucidate the meaning of this term flexibility that we hear absolutely everywhere, which has become a predominant word um, in, let's say, modern capitalism. For example, in France, there will be soon a presidential election, and one of the main topics is uh, how to make work flexible, flexibility of work, flexibility of labor. And uh, flexibility is the Quality, which is required from us at every level, um, and mostly, as I just said, in well, the realm of labor. And flexibility, I looked in the dictionary, means stretchable, as you said, infinitely malleable, uh, foldable, without any kind of resistance. And um, I was looking for a term which would be able to designate a certain suppleness, certain um, adaptability mm-hmm. but w- which would also be able to well to to fix a limit to that flexibility uh, a threshold of resistance and i found plasticity which means well on a certain level plasticity and flexibility are synonyms synonymous uh, plasticity also means supple able to receive the form etc but on the other hand uh, plastic, something which is plastic means something which is able to give form to, to inform, like in plastic arts or plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, it is certainly not a pure pass- passivity, but also uh, an act. So I think that um, flexibility, as I write in this book, is the ideological mask of plasticity. Mm-hmm. It is the ideological avatar of plasticity. Right, plasticity yeah. minus its genius. Yes, yes, right yes. As yes, well yes. Uh, in the book. That's fascinating. The, the third uh, characteristic of um, plasticity that you mentioned in the book is, of course, its explosive character. Um, and I want to go back a little bit to that because I started with this question of, of rage. Rage can be, is, of course, something explosive. It also can have the capacity yes. to give form to... Uh, to give form to something. Feeling. And if right. I... In, well... Again, if I wanted to root my reflection in biology, mm-hmm. it is because today, the well, let's let's call it the power, which means capitalism, very very broadly, has um, many techniques uh, to kill our capacities to to get angry at something, our capacity of enraging ourselves. If you look at the teenagers, for example, today. Uh, most of them, well, they can give us the impression that they're not really affected by by the world or by, by what is going on in the world. And I think that this, well, 
touching our very capacity to get angry, trying to minor it, is what the power is doing today, biologically. Um, I wonder if with that um, uh, dimension, that dimension of disaffection that you're talking about in relation to teenagers, for example, today, we're not also touching on something you've addressed in a book that uh, hasn't come out yet in English, but that will come out hopefully in May or April uh, this year, your book on Freud. Uh, I think for me, that's really where you, once again, you return to the destructive, uh, explosive dimension of plasticity, but you approach it uh, very much, um, at least that's how I see it, from a more uh, negative uh, side, exploring perhaps um, not so much the positive political possibilities of plasticity, but also its uh, destructive uh, potential at the level of the psyche. Could you talk a little bit about uh, that book uh, on Freud, what you do in that book with Freud, his notion of the death drive, how you try to move beyond that uh, in uh, that particular uh, part of your of your oeuvre? Yes. Um, the problem with plasticity is that it is a self-destructive possibility. It is both a creative... Mm, positive power, sculpting, giving form to, uh, being able to be educated, etc., etc., to give form to oneself. But at the same time, it is also a power of destruction, self-destruction, self-explosion. So in certain brain lesions, for example, in certain brain diseases like Alzheimer or, well, any kind of serious brain damage, there is a kind of negative plasticity at work, which which is able to transform the identity of the patient so totally that um, he or she becomes a new person, uh, which is created out of destruction. And it seems to me, that's why I wrote the book on, on Freud, that psychoanalysis, well, traditional psychoanalysis, didn't take that into account. So um, this, well, what is uh, the most intimate power in us, I would say, this plasticity is both um, something which is the very core of our being, like what we do with ourselves, but at the same time is very fragile. And if you touch it, if you, well, if it is submitted to accident or whatever, whatever kind of mm, negative impact, it can become a totally destructive power. Mm -hmm. Plasticity also has a feminist articulation in your work. I already mentioned some of the, the major landmarks on your trajectory as a philosopher. Uh, Derrida, Hegel, mm -hmm. Heidegger, Freud. Uh, how did you come to navigate this philosophical field, which is kind of dotted with all of those uh, men as a woman philosopher? And how did plasticity come to play a role in that particular uh, project? If you read Judith Butler's books, for example, she defines gender as something which is... Um, infinitely more uh, plastic uh, than sex. Mm, the, well, to the extent that a gender is transformable, formable. Um, performable. Performable, absolutely. And you have all the uh, dimension of trans, the transvestite, etc., etc. Um, yes, to perform one, one's gender. So it was also the basis of a new reflection I had on feminism. Um, I asked myself whether femininity itself, uh, not gender in general, but the woman, the feminine, uh, was it um, totally mm, absorbed in gender, within the plasticity or in, of gender? Are the feminine and the masculine, for example, totally disappearing in the 
broader concept, which is gender with its plasticity? Mm-hmm. Or do we have to think of femininity on the one hand, or the feminine, and the masculine on the other, as two plastic sites within plasticity of gender? Uh, does it still have a meaning to talk about the woman, for example, mm-hmm. today, after years and years of feminism, deconstruction of the, f- of the very notion of feminism itself? Mm-hmm. According to, to Butler, again, I'm not sure that she keeps this notion of the feminine for itself. I think the feminine disappears within the, well, the, the, this broader notion of gender. Uh, I just wanted to re-interrogate uh, the possibility of thinking of plasticity of the feminine mm-hmm. proper within mm-hmm. uh, the plasticity of gender. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, you come to insist on a, a certain uh, uh, essence of the feminine or feminine essence, but one that would be... Uh, Not essentialist. An yes. essence w- which wouldn't lead me to an essentialist position. Which would be empty, in fact. Which would be empty. Yes. So a kind of meontological position? Is that what you what you take up there? Um it is about violence. It is about the um, well. The woman, what I define as the woman or the feminine, is um, cannot only be negatively defined as being, which is defined negatively from the violence which is made made to, to it. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, a woman, the, the category of woman appears through uh, the negation of the woman as such. It means domestic violence, rape, all the violence which which, which is made to, to women, mm-hmm. which ne- negatively uh, makes the essence of women appear. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to something you were saying before, in part to talk a little bit more about your, your current project, um, which has to do with the work of Michel Foucault and the notion of biopolitics. Uh, before you were really, when you were talking about the brain, and you were mentioning, you know, the brain is uh, very often uh, limited to um, at least its conceptualization to kind of genetic determinism. And recent work in neuroscience has uh, introduced epigenetics in that whole framework, changed around how we think of the brain. It's not entirely uh, genetically determined in that sense. Instead, there's epigenetic factors which open up a possibility of a certain kind of freedom if we can call it that, um, within our understanding of uh, the brain. Uh, you're beginning to theorize uh, there, it seems to me, a kind of uh, biopolitics or an epigenetic biopolitics uh, of your own in response to or as a critique of uh, Foucault's work on uh, biopolitics. Could we talk about that a little bit? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, it is true that um, I've taken a lot from Foucault in, in all this elaboration of plasticity, because as you know, he talks about uh, technologies of the self, about self-fashioning, self-stilization as a way of resisting power. So it never uses the word plasticity, but in hermeneutics of the subject, for example, it is very clear that this self-fashionability is very close to what I call plasticity. So in a sense, um, my concept of plasticity is is, is very much indebted to to Foucault's work on self-fashioning, which for him is a way of resisting, as I said, power, but more particularly to resist biopolitics. Uh, That is, to resist the way in which power is investing precisely our biological being. And this uh, takes us back to to the first question. 
The problem I have with Foucault is that at the same time, when he talks about biopolitics, or when he talks about our biological being, he never really um, defines uh, this biological being biologically. It, it's def well, his definition of the biological always remains, in a way, ontological. Uh, he has this, well, he studies, of course, biology as a science, but he stops his study at the 18th century. He never goes further. Or when, when he comes to Nazism, for example, um, he talks about um, the way in which biology has been used as a, well, uh, means of uh, destruction. But um, he never really explores the new possibilities, well the, well, the current biological discoveries, which would be able to, uh, to constitute a, very, well, a means of resistance to bio biopolitics itself. Mm -hmm. Biology is always seen by him as a repressive, uh, as a means of repression, never as a discourse of emancipation. So that's my problem. The biological in Foucault remains very much, well, it is something we have to deconstruct. Right, and it's in that project that the term epigenetics yes. comes to play an important yes. new role for Yes, you. because um, Foucault is still very much indebted to that vision of biology as uh, the, the, well, what studies the most determined um, passive um, part of us, like the genetic program, etc., etc. Epigenetics, on the contrary, as you know, is, is this science which uh, studies the uh, um, transformations uh, from, well, you have the genetic code and then its interpretation and transcription. And this interpretation and transcription brings some modification uh, which are not predetermined in the code, which are not pre-coded, and this is epigenetics. Mm -hmm. And which means that uh, there is a certain plasticity of our genome and the biologists themselves talk about plasticity. And this should be uh, taken into account. Mm -hmm. One line in, in your work that we could use to, to summarize this idea is uh, the sentence uh, from Marx that you paraphrase that, and that you use as a leitmotif in your book on the brain. Um, we make our own history, but not just as we please. You write in your book on the brain, we make our own brain, but we do not know uh, that we make it. Whenever I read that line, I don't think uh, only uh, of Marx, but it resonates also with me to a certain extent with uh, an Enlightenment uh, project. Um, uh, Kant's Dare to Know, for example, Dare to Know, that we uh, make our own brain and then, you know, the project of making one's own brain can follow after that. And perhaps also Foucault's re-elaboration of uh, Kant's uh, text, What is Enlightenment, in his own essay, What is Enlightenment. Could we maybe close with a short reflection on that? Do you hear that as well? Uh, in that sentence, or was that completely outside of what you were thinking? Yes, I think I quite agree with you. It would be, well, be plastic would be a new motto for, right. well, determining a new enlightenment. But at the same time, of course, it would be very provocative because, um, and what, but I like this provocation. I mean, how can we use the brain as a means of an enlightenment? Um, I, think, I think this is what, what we have to do, what we should do, hence the title of my book. But of course, um, it is well. It opens uh, a very long and difficult task. 
Right. One that uh, we are uh, partly already involved in, but that of course is also ours to accomplish. Thank you uh, so much for uh, this oh, interview. This podcast was produced for the Los Angeles Review of Books. For more information, please look at our website at lareviewofbooks.org.